storms and steps today. We're doing some standalone messages. Uh, our pastor, Matt Carter, will be back next week to speak, so he will follow me. Then we'll continue on with uh, speakers during this time of rest for him. But when we come to this time, you don't have to worry about who it is. Like, is it, is it Pastor Matt? Is it Freeman? Is it anybody else? All you need to worry about is whoever's teaching, are they using the Word of God? Because the authority is not in the person. The authority is in the Word. So therefore, Matthew 14 has all power and authority because I didn't write this. God did by the Holy Spirit. So this word is for us today. Storms and stops. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 23. I don't know if you've heard of Meg Altman, but she had a daughter, Sarah, and they moved to the Upper West Side of New York at one time, and they bought what was called a brownstone. A brownstone is a home that is built... On the west side, beautiful homes, ancient look at homes. But she bought it from a reclusive millionaire who was fearful that someone was going to come in and kidnap him. So he built what was called a panic room. I'm telling you the plot of the story of the movie, Jodie Foster. When that movie came out, there was an explosion of panic rooms across the nation because people said, I need, in my time of uh, storm, I need a safe place to go that is built with um, like rebar and, 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 and concrete and 18 inches thick and can withstand a mortar attack or a plane flying into it. I need a place that is really kind of separate from the house, although it's in the house, because this place has its own ventilation system, has its own communication system. So if somebody was to get me and cut all the power off, I would still have power because this place, called a panic room, has everything that you need in order to be in an area of safety. Now, here's what I want to tell you. A lot of us have built a panic room in our life. We live just like the disciples in Matthew chapter 14. They're living fearful. They're living afraid. They were always, if you just follow the disciples, they were always, it seems like, building a panic room around when Jesus was trying to teach them who he was. Now, in Matthew chapter 8, there's a storm with Jesus and his disciples just prior to this. And at the end of the storm, they said, what kind of man is this that he would calm the waves and the wind? Well, in this text in Matthew 14, they don't say what kind of man is this. They say, truly you are the son of God, not a mere man, you are really God. Now that's important to understand. So the context of this particular, I can see spit flying in the lights just as I speak. <laughs> I love it. <sighs> just prior to this, John the Baptist has been beheaded. So Jesus is trying to get alone to grieve John the Baptist's death. So, but he has, he didn't take a day off. He has the disciples with him. And then this big crowd follows him and it's called the feeding of the 5,000. So he doesn't get a chance to get alone. He has to deal with people. And the disciples said, send them away. So just send them away, Jesus. But here's what Jesus said. I'm going to do the miracle. I have all the power, but you're going to feed them. I thought about that. God does the miracle 
of grace and salvation and the work of his ministry and spirit in us. God always does the work. We can't do anything apart from him. He always is the miracle worker. But watch this. He tells us to feed people. In his power. He, 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 he breaks the fishes and the loaves. And, and then he hands them to us and says, now you feed them. But don't forget where it came from. I did this. But I'm telling you, you be a vessel. You be a bread man. You give it to them. That's what he does. So, so that's the context of what's happening here in Matthew chapter 14. John the Baptist is beheaded. Jesus is wanting to grieve. The disciples are in a crowd of people. Jesus knew that they'd get all caught up in the feeding of the 5,000, so he sends them into a storm. And so it was interesting here in this passage how he does that. So they're living in a panic room already, but now a storm brings the panic room to a whole nother level. They want to build like this bunker in the boat and, uh, where you can't get to them, you know. And so the idea is when we have fear, instead of walking by faith, because fear and faith can't reign in the same heart, and fear and faith both demand that you believe in something that you can't see. So the disciples here knew that they wouldn't get in the boat by themselves. So the idea was Jesus, look at the text, verse four, uh, 22 of Matthew 14. It says this, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitude away. I want you to get this picture in your mind. They would get all caught up in the frenzy of the feeding of the 5,000 and at the end, he gave them 12 baskets left over. How many disciples? 12. So they go into the boat with provision at their feet they know that Jesus is God because he's already performed a miracle. So Jesus said, just as a reminder, I want to send you out in the storm, but you've got some baskets at your feet. So the idea would be when the storm comes, look at your feet. Your feet are going to tell you that I'm God. You don't have to worry, but they're not that smart. But before you jump on them, think about us. We're not that smart either. We forget his provision. We forget what he does. So the, the tendency would be, Jesus, the text says, he immediately made them. The idea is a word in the original language of force. So they would have been taking pictures of the 12 baskets with Jesus. Look what he did. And then the crowd over here, look, look at the crowd that we just fed. And so here's what Jesus does. He says, fellas, come here. I need you to go now. What do, you, what, do you, what do you mean? What do you mean go now? I mean, we, we, we just want to kind of bask in the glory of this whole thing. And this was a miracle and you did it and we handed it out. I said, go now. So they're rowing away from all of the action because God has a plan that's greater than their plan. When's the last time that you responded to the word go now? And you left the comfortable place that you were in in order to be obedient to Jesus. You see, the reason that they went is because this isn't a storm of disobedience. I can tell you a whole lot of stories of storms of disobedience just from my own life. This was a storm of obedience. This was a storm of perfection. But the disciples didn't get it, nor did they see it. So Jesus put them into the boat and he said, go, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. He didn't say go to the other side and drown. He said, go to the other side. He knew they never would go to the other side. 
There were Gentiles on the other side. It was a Jewish crowd. There were Gentiles. He knew they would never go on their own. So the idea was he had to show them and force them, push, you go now because I got a bigger plan. Now, when God tells you to go to the other side, whatever other side is for you, and you think you're going under, God is big enough to keep you over when everything else seems to be going under if you'll just trust him. You got to trust him. You got to respond to the word go, and you want to get to the point in your life where you only allow God to speak to you one time. All you have to say to me, Lord, is one time, and I'm going to do it. He doesn't tell you to take a bunch of steps. He tells you to take a step. Storms and steps, it's one step at a time. This is important. So immediately he made them get in the boat, go before them to the other side. While he sent the multitude away. He's saying, I got this. And when he sent the multitude away, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was there alone. Remember, he was trying to be alone in the first place. And when you and I began to try to get alone with God, now Jesus is God, get this, but he was trying to get alone with his father. As God, he feeds 5,000. As man, he stands in the need of prayer. He's been trying to get alone for a while. Sometimes in alone time, you get stymied and you can't ever figure out when am I gonna take the time to get alone? Listen, if you will take five minutes today alone with God, it will change your life. Five. Some of you could take half a day. But five minutes alone, and you're going to have interruptions because people always will interrupt you. But you have to learn to pull away from the crowd where you find your security and they find security in you, and you've got to step away from them and get alone with God because God wants to speak to you. And so there are things you'll never hear in a crowd because you can't hear in a crowd. There's too many voices. You have to be alone. Jesus is God, says, I need to be alone. So he sends them, the disciples, into the sea while he climbs up onto a mountain and he's alone. It is good to be alone. The church here was gracious to me. When Pastor Matt came, I told him, I am worn flat out. I've been preaching two services for too long of a time. And I told the staff that long before Pastor came. And I met with Pat, first time, second time I met him. And he said, you don't need to, I asked for two weeks off. It's the honest truth. He said, you need two months. I said, I'll take it. <laughs> I said, I'll take it. The rest is history. Um, I needed it. I needed to be alone. So it was okay for me to wake up at 10 o'clock in the morning and drink coffee during my time alone and go back to bed by 11 and get up and drink another cup of coffee. I felt no guilt whatsoever because I was spending time alone. Now, alone with my wife, and we did that together. It was replenishing time. If you're always giving and giving and giving and never receiving and receiving, you're going to burn out. And if you burn out, you're going to burn out. And even if you rust out, you're going to rust out. You want to take time alone. Jesus went into the garden of the Gethsemane with the disciples, and then he withdrew from them because they weren't primary support for him. They were secondary. He withdrew time alone. I'm telling you, it's important. Jesus did it, and he did it here. The problem was the disciples felt like they were alone. He did this to us, 
He sent us out here. Look at the text. Now, when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. That's an understatement. The word contrary means to be tormented. The word uh, contrary means to be buffeted. They would use the word torment in scripture when the disciples and others would cast out demons. They would say a demon is tormenting this person. That's the same word that's used here. This storm was tormenting them. They were extremely fearful and extremely scared. Now, there are going to be times when you and I are really scared of stuff that happens. And that's okay to be scared. But Jesus didn't come to erase our scariness, he, if that's a word. He came to erase the fact and under, um, help us understand that he is with us. Even though we are scared, he is with us. Even if we feel like he's left us alone, he is still with us. So the idea is these disciples were out in the boat and they didn't understand what was happening. So they're having to trust and they're out there. Here's what the text says. The boat was in the middle of the sea for the wind was contrary. It was battered. It was beaten. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. We would post that, right? Jesus walking on the sea. Now, I'm old school. I, don't, I have a Facebook just because my wife put one up there for me. She says, you need this. I said, then you respond to the comments. Uh, emoji, emoji, emoji. Jesus is walking on the sea. People don't do that. Do you think the disciples were afraid? Yes. So Jesus straightway from a mountaintop of prayer made a straightway position straight to them. You see, here's the point. You may think you're alone in your storm, but Jesus is closer than you think. He's closer than you think. You're not really alone. You feel alone, but the fact is you're not alone. So Jesus, can you imagine there in their mind, where is he? Has he forgotten me? Have you ever been there before? Where is God in the midst of my storm? Where is God in the midst of my turmoil? Has he left me out there to die? Well, the issue is he hasn't forgotten you, but it's 1 a.m. It's not no Jesus. 2 a.m. It's no Jesus. And then 3 a.m., between 3 and 6 a.m., Jesus straightway comes to the disciples. They feel like they're alone. He has been alone with the Father, and yet he reminds them, I can come straight to you with no problem because I'm the Lord of creation, and I don't need any help in this situation. But they thought they were alone. They thought the boat was going down. And when the ways of life are over your head, they're really under his feet. See, God will put us in positions where the waves are way over our head so that we'll come to a place of trust in him. So we won't try to manufacture strength that comes from us in the midst of the storm, but we'll actually be totally dependent upon him. That's what was happening in this text. So in the fourth, they've been rowing for nine hours. None of us in here can say that. None of us can say we've been rowing in a storm for nine hours, and we also can't say we prayed for nine hours straight, unless you're more spiritual than everybody else around here. Jesus prayed for nine hours straight. They're rowing for nine hours straight, but Jesus is closer than you think. In the midst of your situation today, he's really closer than you think. You have to trust him. You have to believe. So the Bible says in the fourth watch of the night, he went to them walking on the sea. So in the midst of their storm, God has a plan. 
He is totally sovereign over his plan. He has all power in his hands. They think they're alone. He's been alone. They're not really alone. He's coming to them to rescue them. So the idea is sometimes in our lives, we think we can handle something that comes our way, but we can't handle it. We think we can handle it. And then when that storm hits, we realize we can't handle it. So it's in testing times that we have a strength that comes from God that only we know in times of trouble. Only we know in times of storms. There's a supernatural strength because God breaks us at the point of our strength. These guys were fishermen. They probably built the boat. They manufactured the boat. They were experts on the sea. They knew about the Sea of Galilee, you know, uh, eight or so miles long, and the winds would swirl uh, from the top and create these waves that were six to eight feet. They had been on this sea before, but never away from Jesus like a situation like this, so he comes walking to them. God uses storms to show us who he is, not who we are. Show us who he is. Reveal himself to us. I don't know if you've ever, I said this in the first hour, but back in the day when you would take a picture, you know, with the camera that you would buy, like you, you'd, you'd get it off at Walmart and you snap a picture. Never mind. <laughs> we used to take pictures, and what you would do is take a picture and you'd put the negative in a pan. And then you'd add some water to the pan, and you would get that negative and you would put it in the pan. The water would be in the pan and they would take the pan and they would begin to create waves in that pan. So the more that the waves went over the negative uh, picture, uh, then, then they added what was called a solution. So they put a solution in there. So now you have the negative and the waves are going over the negative and it takes a long time for the waves to go over the negative, but there's a solution in there that's causing a beautiful picture to materialize at some point. So the more you keep the negative in the waves, in the storm, the more the solution comes forth and the more that the materialization of a beautiful picture of what God can do in the midst of the storm comes back and everybody thinks that the negative backs up and the beautiful picture comes forth and it does, but watch this, the negative has to happen. The negative has to happen. So things that happen to you and me that we think, oh, this is terrible. This is so difficult. This is so negative. Listen, life doesn't work against you. It works for you when you're in Jesus Christ. You see, apart from Christ, everything would be negative. But in him, I know that he's working out his will. And I know that he is conforming me to the image of his son. So when the waves go over my life and the waves go over your life, the negative is there. But there's a solution there. And the power of the Holy Spirit is bringing a beautiful picture of his grace. And he's giving us a glimpse that he's in control and we're not alone in the storm. That's how much he loves us. So what storm are you in that God's bringing the waves over to be able to produce this beautiful picture of his masterpiece in your life. Takes broken people and puts them all together again. That's what was happening with the disciples. So it says here in the text, they didn't see the picture coming forth. And it says this in verse 26. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, you think? Saying, it's a ghost. It's a ghost. Now listen, these guys had fought storms before. The reason they said it's a ghost, it's the word for phantom, 
we get our word fear from is because these guys had fought storms before. But it's when you and I fight storms that we don't normally fight that we think that it's a ghost. But I want you to know that the secret things belong to the Lord our God. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, so if you're one of these Christians that are always demanding an explanation from God, you'll be highly disappointed because God doesn't always explain himself. He doesn't have to. He's God. And we don't need clarity in a situation. We need trust. John Cavanaugh, the great ethicist, went to Calcutta, India to talk to Mother Teresa to the, at the house of the dying. And he said, finally he met Mother Teresa and he said, I need clarity like you have because I'm trying to find out what I'm supposed to be doing in this life, what my purpose is. And he said, would you pray for clarity for me? She said, I will not. She said, I won't pray for clarity at all for you, but I will pray that you'll trust God. She said, the last thing you need is clarity. What you need is trust. And that's absolutely true. When Jesus came walking on the sea to them, uh, th they didn't need clarity. They needed trust. They needed to totally abandon themselves to him in a relationship. Jesus is calling us into a relationship. So we don't need clarity. We don't need to figure it all out in the midst of the storm. But we do need trust. We do need to abandon ourselves to him and put our faith into him and trust him, even if we don't understand what he's doing because God is good all the time. And it doesn't mean I feel that God is good, but he is good. That's his character and it's impeccable. So in the midst of the storm, rather than blaming God, I can become better in the midst of the storm by just saying, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm available. I'm gonna trust you. And I'll tell you what, if, you don't, if you're not in a storm today, you better put this one in your back pocket because you'll be in one. Be patient. Just two words for you today. All right, now watch this. Verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them. All right, it's a ghost. They cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and saying, be of good cheer means take heart, which means I got this. That's what it means. Do not be afraid. Don't let your heart be divided between fear and faith. Um, let, let me take control of this situation, which I am, but it is I is the proper name of God. So, so Jesus is not a mere man, he's God. And he says, it is I, Do, listen, it is I, I am a person. I am God, it is I. You don't have to be afraid. You can be scared, but you don't have to be afraid. Afraid is when you back away from what God has for you. That, that's the word fear means to back away. The word faith means to embrace. Now here's Peter. Look at verse 28. And it says this. And so he said, verse 28, and Peter answered him. Okay. Does that surprise us? Once Peter had the identity issue, it is I, proper name of God. He said, since it's you, here's what he said. Peter answered him, said, Lord, if it's you, since it's you, command me to come to you in the water. Here's what Jesus said. So he said, come. Do you think at that time he received some free, unsolicited advice from his boat riding friends? Oh, I can't, Peter, geez, you've done this before. Let me tell you something. When Jesus says, come, and you know it's him. Listen, if it's not him, this is really dumb. You better know who Jesus is and you better know who you are. But once you know who he is and he says, come, you respond to the word come. And you can only respond in obedience. So let me tell you this. There are some people 
today in this auditorium that need to respond to the word come. The Lord's saying, come to me. Step out of the boat. Take the first step and I'll give you the power for the rest. Make it right with a friend. Make it right in your marriage. Make it right at your job. Take the first step. You come to me. I'll give you the power. But here's the point. The rest of the disciples stayed in the boat. And there are some people in this room that God wants to take you to places you have no idea if you would respond to the word come today. He has a special call in your life. But there are some people you're holding hands with in the boat that can never go where God wants to take you. And the only way you'll ever get out of the boat is if you let their hands go and you trust God. Some of you need to ditch some relationships that you have dating wise. They're bad, they're wrong, they're not biblical, but you're holding the hand. And God wants to take you here and you're still gonna hold the hand. Because listen, there are people that God is gonna leave in the boat where you, he wants to take you out further than you've ever been before if you'll trust him. But you're gonna have to leave some people behind. You're gonna have to follow his voice and respond to him in grace. He's given you a grace gift by speaking to you. When he speaks to you and says, come, you go. If you're gonna walk on water, it's simple. You gotta get out of the boat, baby. You gotta get out of the boat. What area do you need to get out of the boat? Is it a job? Is it a relationship? Is it a friendship? You gotta take the first step, not step 5,000, but the first step. You just trust God. The disciples were in a storm. They had a hard time seeing through the lens that was blurred because they were living in fear, but they had to trust God in the midst of the storm. But at least Peter got out of the boat. I, I, when I think of storms, you know, they can either drive us closer to God or they can drive us further away from God. I may have told this story in here, but there was a little boy who had a toy boat that had a string attached to it and he would always go out to the pond and he'd let the boat out with the string and pull the boat back in, let the boat out and pull it back in, and let the boat out. Well, one day he, the string broke and his daddy was there. He said, Daddy, Daddy, my string broke, my string broke. What am I going to do? And his dad looked on the shore, and he saw some rocks. And his dad said, Son, get some rocks in your hand. No, Daddy, I don't, I don't want to hurt my boat. I don't want to hurt my boat. He said, Get some rocks in your hand. So the daddy led the way. He picked up rocks. He started throwing rocks at the boat. The boy's like, Don't do that, Daddy. Don't do that. That bothers me. That's not good. I don't feel, this is not feeling right for me. In the, don't, don't do that until he realized his daddy was throwing the rocks just beyond the boat. And when he threw the rocks just beyond the boat, guess what? The boat started creating waves. The rocks created waves and the boat started coming toward the little boy. So you got a little boy on the shore who realized in the midst of the storm, if, if my daddy can throw a rock in the right way, I can get closer to that boat. And so you got a little boy on the shore going, daddy, throw another rock, throw another rock, throw another rock. Listen to me. Sometimes God throws rocks at our boats in the midst of storms to drive us closer to him so that he could tell us, you come and you step out and you trust me. You may not understand everything, but you've got to trust me. Throw another rock, daddy. Throw another rock. God, throw a rock at my marriage. Throw a rock at my church. Throw a rock at my relationships so that I can be drawn closer to you so that I can respond properly to people. See, we want God to just... Stop the storm, and he can, but not until he's through doing what he wants to do. Look at the text. It says this, 
Peter got down out of the boat. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, I don't know how that happened. How do you see wind? I'm, I'm baffled. But he said this. He was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Look at the text. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Here's what a lot of pastors do. If you take your eyes, if you just take your eyes off the Lord, you're going to sink. Where are your eyes today? Where are your eyes today? That's good stuff to preach. The issue is not taking your eyes off the Lord because all of us have done that. The issue is when we sink, who are we going to run to? You see, right here it says this, that, that um, when Peter was sinking, it says immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith. So the problem is when we fall and we fail, we try to swim back to the boat and we're not good swimmers. You got to reach up to get the hand. You, some of you are living in guilt from past decisions in high school, grade school, recently. You're living a secret life somewhere and you're thinking you're getting away with it. Let me tell you what, God never sleeps nor slumbers. He knows everything. Do you understand that? He knows everything about every one of us right now. And he's got a hand to reach down. When we fall, we don't need someone to go, oh, you know what, I, I, I knew that was a problem. We don't need anybody to identify our problem. We know what our problem is. We fell. We made a bad decision. But the question is, who are you going to run to after you made the bad decision? See, with guilt, you will run to the wrong thing, the wrong person. But when you understand glimpses of grace, you'll just take his hand. It says that Jesus reached down his hand, and Peter said, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. It wasn't Peter reaching up in his own strength. It was Christ reaching down his hand. Isn't that the way it is in our lives? Christ is the one that initiates it. He's the one that says, I love you. He's the one that says, would you just turn to me? Would you just respond to me? Some of you are swimming today and you're running to the wrong thing. And Jesus has a handout for you. And he's saying, take my hand. I can forgive you. I can love on you even though you haven't loved yourself, even though you have an identity problem, even though you have a behavior problem, even though you have an addiction to this or to that. If you will take my hand, I will dispense grace on your life and I will forgive you and you will have taken hold of the right hand. But many of you have taken hold of somebody else's hand and you think they can help fix your problem and they can't. Only Jesus can rescue us. And Peter at least cried out when he sank. He at least cried out to Jesus and he ran to the right person. He said, Lord, save me. Now he already said, Jesus is God. Now he said, Lord, which is Jesus is not only God, he's master. Guess what? He's also savior. Notice what the text says. It doesn't say it takes a lot of faith. It said, he said, oh, you, look at verse 31. Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? It just takes a little faith. Muster it up today. It, just, it doesn't take big faith. It just takes you crying out and saying, Lord, save me. Just a little bit of faith. Say, Lord, save me. Take my hand. Lord, I need somebody to give me a second chance and a third chance. I need someone to forgive me. I need someone to wash over all the bad decisions that I've made. And there's a hand coming down. Listen to me. Take his hand today. 
Don't take other people's hands to try to fix problems that are unfixable by men. Go to God who is the one who is sovereign and loving and forgiving and graceful and has a plan for your life. And if today, if you'll respond and just take his hand, you can have a new start in your life today. Lord, save me. Just a little bit of faith today. Just a little bit of faith. That's what he's saying here. Look at the text. I'm coming to the end. It says here, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Verse 32. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. You think? Think about that. You think? No. In Matthew 8, you're just a mere man. In verse 33 of Matthew chapter 14, you truly are the Son of God. Now look at the text. It says, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. So it's like you might think, well, when Jesus stepped into the boat, then that's when his power was released and everything was calm. He didn't have to step into the boat to calm the sea or the storm. He's the Lord of creation. He's the Lord of all. Don't think, oh, he stepped into the boat and that did it. He is God. He has all power. He didn't have to step in the boat, but he is omnipotent. And when he stepped into the boat, everything was calm. The waves stopped beating against the disciples. Some of you today are beating against the omnipotence of God. God's drawing you into a love relationship with him and you're fighting it and you're beating it away when all you have to do is embrace the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who reaches down and says, I love you, I have a plan, embrace me, I will do what only I can do in your life, and then you can worship me. Look at the text. It says this. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him. Do you know what the disciples had done up until then? They just served Jesus. Hand out some fish hand out some breads. There's a real difference between service and worship. Worship is when you really get the fact that he truly is the son of God. And they didn't get it. But let's give them credit on this one. They did give him what he deserved in that boat. They gave him the worship that was due them, uh, due him in that boat. They, they laid down and they worshiped him. Oh, we served him before, but now we're worshiping him. You see, when you worship through storms and you worship through pain, your worship becomes real because it comes from an authentic heart. It's not just motions that you're going through and singing. And we sing wonderful songs here, but if your heart is not engaged in worship, only Christ can ignite a worshipful heart. So many of our hearts are pinned to the storm. Many of our hearts are fearful of the storm. Many of our hearts are shaken and they're not on the foundation of Christ because we're thinking of the storm. We've got to shift our thinking from the storm to the one who is over the storm and walks on top of the storm and deserves all of our worship. So in the midst of the storm, I can sing and you can sing. And I'll tell you, it's thrilling to worship Jesus, but it's way much more thrilling to worship him in a storm. Because when you've been purified by a storm, your worship is like, man, I mean every single word about this. I'm not playing games anymore. I'm serious about my relationship with God. Let me close with this, and this won't be easy for me. 
And if I just stop the illustration and we lead into a song, that's the way it's going to be. My son, when he was taking his last breath in a hospital bed, I was so in a storm. My heart was split in two, fear, faith, all mixed together, anger, why God, why me, God, why me? Let me ask you something. Why not me? Why not you? What makes me and you so much spiritual that we would think, why me, why me God? Jesus Christ topped Calvary. That should be enough. But I'm there. And I don't know anything. I've been reading scripture over him. I laid his Bible on his chest and I'm just reading and reading and rubbing his hands and rubbing his feet and speaking life and goodness and all that over him. And I've got nurses and doctors all around me and it, it just beepers are going off. And I just, I just continued to read and pray and read and pray. And then I turned the switch to toggle of worship. And I started singing songs, old school hymns. I started singing new school hymns. I started mixing words from songs from generations ago to the new. It made no sense, but to God it was, pure, it was beautiful. Because I was worshiping in the midst of the greatest pain a person can go through. And I said, God, I don't know what to do. I don't have enough strength to even pick myself up off this chair, much less communicate with somebody that wants to know something about the situation. I'm just a broken man. And here's what I felt. God took my hand. And he said, I got you. He said, I got you. In a hospital bed, I sang over my son for four hours. You may think it's not possible, but God, with God, all things are possible. I just sang, I sang, I sang, I was crying. I think my nose was bleeding. I was broken. I was crying out. And this nurse, as I was singing, I said, you can join me. Just sing, just sing. They were in and out, different nurses. She said, just sing. She said, I've never seen a father love on his son like that. And I said, ma'am, it's not me. It's not my power. It's God's power through me that gives me the ability to speak life to him and give praise to God because I don't feel like doing it, but it's the fact is that Jesus has made it possible for me to have a relationship with the Father. And so it gave me an opportunity to tell this lady who was just watching something she's never seen before. I said, because that father has loved this son right here. This father can pour into this son and know that eternity is forever and forever and forever. And when he takes his last breath, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I'll keep on singing all of my days. And listen. I still have nightmares over stuff. Medical procedures and stuff at the end. But there's one thing I don't have nightmares on. And that's the fact that I just acknowledge to Jesus, I am broken. I need you. I want you and I desire you. And if you don't show up in this moment, I'm done. And God came through, not in the way that I asked for and prayed for, but he still came through. And my sweet wife 
And my heart, our hearts, they're broken. We'll be for the rest of our lives. Pain, yeah. Joy, yeah. It's kind of all mixed in there together. God has a plan. In the midst of the storm, am I going to trust him or not? I'm going to sing my way through the storm. 